0: I don't think I've ever met him. I never met him. I don't think I've ever. Met you would him. know it if you
1: did. I think you? so. Yeah, I think so. Donald, Donald, you're, you're beginning to sound a little ridiculous.
0: I think you sound ridiculous. When I raise money, excuse me, excuse me, I've watched you on television. You're a real beauty.
1: What is your tax rate? Uh,
0: it's
2: none of your business. You'll see it when I
0: release.
1: Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So it's been a year since Smaug the dragon came to the dwarf kingdom of Erebor, the land of our forefathers who brought forth upon this continent a great nation. It's a year since Smaug took up residence here, darkening the skies of liberty, desecrating the truth. ...confiscating the gold of the great dwarves and infecting otherwise sound brains so virulently that they mix metaphors and confuse reference sets. Anyway, it's a year since the desolation, a year since Election Day. Through the year, we the people, but also we as individuals, have struggled with how to talk about, think about, and write about this president, this sea change in the polity, and in our nation, and even in America's place among nations... Is it a time to think world historically, geopolitically? Is it a time for zen? Or is it a time to tend to every single bee sting and cobra bite inflicted on us by the spirited president and the media and social media coverage of our times? Slate this week approached this question in an inventive and, dare I say it, innovative way with a several writer package about push alerts. Push alerts are those little boxes of pain that appear on your phone just when you're trying to play Scrabble or text your mom. The ones that say North Korea has tested a missile or Donald Trump has fired James Comey. Slate's package puts together not just a terrific analysis, but a data visualization of all the New York Times push alerts rolling along from the whole year. It's even searchable and kind of traumatic, but in a good way. I mean, think of all the news we've already survived. In a minute, I'll be back with Laura Bennett and Allison Benedict, the editors of this piece about the year on push notifications. But first, this message. Laura Bennett, the features editor at Slate, is joining me in the studio, and Allison Benedict, another Slate editor, is joining me on the phone to talk about this giant project they put together, a year in push notifications. A link to it can be found in the show notes, and it is well worth looking at. Thanks so much for being here, Laura and Allison. Thank you for having us. Thanks. So you guys have this a wicked, wicked package. We still call it a package even online, right? We do. Yeah. Um, it, doesn't it seem like a 90s thing from Life magazine, the pe- Vietnam package or something? Anyway, we have a package in Slate. And what's great about this story is, one, it contains an awesome, if stressful, data visualization of all Those push notifications all year. Trump elected, Comey fired, all the way up to bellicose threats on North Korea and so on. Um, Laura, since you're right here, why don't you start by saying what motivated this package and tell me about the package in general?
2: Sure. Well, uh, I will say this idea originated with something that Allison said one day, which was, I wish we'd been collecting push alerts all year. Ah. So that was the brilliant seed of this framing, which I think was such a good way to capture sort of the experience of living through this year. And in the end, we got the times to send us. We sort of partnered with them in a sense in that we got them to send us their archive of of the full year's push alerts so that we had the language of the alerts to use for this. So our thinking was that... Obviously, the year in push alerts is kind of like a just a framing to tell the story of what it was like to live through this assaultive, breakneck, anxiety-inducing, occasionally exhilarating news cycle. Right. So we just used the Times alerts, you know, because we wanted to make it intelligible. And if we use too many publications alerts, then it would be sort of uh, trickier to visualize. Yep. But the package overall, it's um, a bunch of stories that kind of collaborate to – articulate what it was like to be a producer and a consumer of news in this breaking news hellscape
1: and i mean we uh, my son has a book of new york times um front pages from the beginning of the paper in the what 1850s to now and there it's selected significant front pages man walks on the moon or world war one starts and they, we think about headlines as ways to tell stories, but push alerts are a relatively new convention. And maybe you want to just take a second and say,
0: imagine, imagine just thinking of that book that your son has. Yeah. Imagine if we hadn't been getting these push alerts. Imagine if we weren't on Twitter. Imagine if like things weren't sort of barking in our faces all day long. And just every day we woke up to a front page would like, would the The news actually wouldn't change, right? Our date, like, I think about that all the time. Like, is this this changing the course of events, the fact how quickly we're getting this information, or would it actually be that, you know, the Mueller investigation would roll on in the same way that it is now? Uh, we would just like process it in a different and probably much healthier way. You know, I think that would be much better.
1: Well, you know, I I, I mean, I'm thinking about health a little bit because you guys start out by saying that, you know, it's been such a stressful year and it's it's not clear whether, as you say, the push alerts are sort of an artifact of the stress and the heightened nervous system or the, or the opposite. The push alerts generate the heightened nervous system, but You know, since there was so much worry at the beginning of the right after the election that we would, quote, normalize things. I don't even know that people use that word anymore. The push alerts have been a way of nicely, constantly, relentlessly abnormalizing things. Um, And, you know, I think if you had a daily newspaper, if you had a Walter Cronkite at night telling us about the news, it might be folded into a format that was more sedative you know (laughs) you know that's really
2: interesting i mean the it's funny yeah i think people got so we hit our saturation point so early on the word normalized that we haven't used in a while but the it's interesting that you say that because we have this one piece in this in this package just to use that weird old timey word again uh by our tech reporter will remus he talked to the editors at the new york times and the washington post about how they sort of the editorial calculus behind push alerts and how yeah. they decide what to push and kind of the relative arbitrariness of it sometimes and the, you know, internal discussions that happen around that. And both editors at both papers talked about what they call alert fatigue, yeah. which is something they worry about, which is, you know, the fact that these editors are sitting around saying if we send too many alerts, people are going to get fatigued of them and then not click through anymore. Mm-hmm. That's evidence that even a, even the sort of push alert life normalizes itself to a sense after a while and you become numb to the the like pellets of news that are being flung in your face all the time the adrenal fatigue of, exactly yeah
1: so um let's talk about the success of some of the alerts and the ones that didn't even make it to press they didn't even make it to push one of the ones and maybe else and you can talk me through this is A draft of an alert read, a Democratic congresswoman said that President Trump's chief of staff lied about her role in a 2015 ceremony, a video supported her account. So that one didn't make it. What's wrong with that one?
0: I think what's wrong with it is that, I mean, I think it could have, you know, they could have, it was like totally borderline. So they could have done it, they could have not, but it was hard to... I would guess, re- like reading into the answers that they gave to Will, yeah. it was hard to make it easily di- easily digestible. It was like one of those stories where um, you had to have been following the four previous stories to make that push make sense. Yeah. Um, and, and so it wasn't worth pushing. It's not, it doesn't mean that the news was, isn't worth reading. That's not necessarily the determination that they're making, Which is why I found, like, which is why I found the push alerts. I mean, I'm totally, I don't, like, a lot of people responded to this package saying, like, just turn off your alert. Um, (laughs) um, And I haven't done that because I do want to see what they're pushing at us. But I've started to think more toward the end of the year. Like, I've tried to keep in mind that they are, I don't mean this in, like, a nefarious way, but they're manipulating us. And, I mean, Slate does it, too. We're pushing out our own push alerts as well. Every organization is. But just because it's pushed does not necessarily mean it's important and just because it's not does not necessarily mean it's not. Yeah. Right. Um, And it's really like kind of, for me, like fucked with my head a little bit and the decisions that I've tried to make helping, you know, Slate decide what to write about and what not and what's important and what's not, it kind of, like, I, if you're led by the push alert, then um, you might be focusing on the wrong thing.
1: Um, does, the sh- does it also seem sometimes like we in the media are taking our marching orders from our hotheaded tweeting president? Because covering the tweets, for one, in the push notifications... Even when they border on dangerous speech acts, or has been a question, right, for the times is do we, you know, is there a push alert every time Trump tweets? In other words, we basically are all following at real Donald Trump if you start doing that. You know, sometimes I think he hammers away at our nervous system with those tweet storms, and then we in turn pass on that stress to readers.
2: That is a great question. And that's one, uh, it's one that we had that we'll talk to the Times about a little bit, about how, all right, Trump tweets, what's the calculus? Like, do you send a push alert about it? And they seem pretty sanguine about it. They just had their sort of internal mandates were, you know, if he, you you can kind of contextualize his tweet by saying, for instance, using a phrase like, citing no evidence, Trump tweeted, blah, 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 blah. And then you try to focus on the sort of policy intentions or the actions he's announcing rather than just his reactivity. Yeah. So that sounds like a lot. It's quite a high wire act for 150 characters, but that they really. I, mean, I also think know.
0: that's changed over time. Like, I think right. at first, both in terms of push alerts and whatever tweets that people sent and headlines and stories that we were assigning, like we were like it. it was like it was Trump tweeted this thing that's the news, or Trump tweeted this thing, we respond. I do think it evolved over the years, over the year, and that they started, like, the Times definitely started adding phrases to make clear that whatever he tweeted wasn't true, or to, you know, wink at it in some way. Yeah, I think um, that's
1: totally true. I mean, the, I'm I'm going back to this thing about your friend advi- friends advising you to just turn off your push alerts, and uh, during the John Banay Ramsey trials, a friend of mine said, "Why do they always tell us we shouldn't be following John Banay Ramsey? The reason that we're all interested in John Banay Ramsey is it's the most interesting thing in the world." <laughs> and, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm sorry, but if we have a Russian asset for a president, and we have the Twilight of the Idols with all these big men being brought down on sexual assault charges, and we have you know threats in North Korea now, Saudi Arabia in a, in its weird purge and Russia and Putin. And, you know, I I feel like we might be a little bit, you know, sitting out history to learn to knit and not tweet is maybe not maybe not this year.
2: It's also so interesting because if you are a person who's either who, your job is or you're just your identity is connected to being someone who's up on the news, yeah. there's just something I noticed in the Slate office where whenever a push alert goes out, say from the Times, there's this scramble to be the first to post it in Slack. Oh. So someone will be like, oh, Michael Flynn was fired. And we're like, yeah. bro, we all got the same alert at the same time. But right. cool. What,
1: what are your yeah. sources on that one? Yeah, you yeah, must yeah. have an inside line. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> well, wait, speaking of um, tempo, I actually am... I am going to say that sometimes I find the Times News alerts a little slow. So I know. (laughs) Uh (laughs) And that's because I spend all my time on that confounded microblogging platform, Twitter, um, (laughs) where they will surface stuff on rumors you know reporters will surface stuff on rumors it doesn't have to be vetted it doesn't have to be copy edited it doesn't have to be anything that it takes to put out a push alert at the times which costs them the valuable 10 minutes between <laughs> actually breaking news so i'm a little bit especially when i've like when i'm really in the onslaught of twitter just like 10 minutes later, Mike Flynn, come on. We've been processing the, like whether he lied to Pence already. You know? But also um,
0: part of that is like Twitter news on Twitter has gotten so much faster because, well, this might now be changing since the Times put out new like, you know, standards for how its reporters could tweet. But definitely don't you guys think this year that reporters have been tweeting out? Word of stories that they're going to publish, or little tidbits before
1: they're actually oh, yeah, published,
0: much yeah. earlier than they ever did before.
1: Remember, it wasn't it Glenn Thrush who had like still reporting, still reporting. Maybe <laughs> yeah. it wasn't yeah. him, but but yeah, they well, were, was like Glenn
2: well, Thrush. I can't believe I can't remember. That felt like such a big <laughs> news story at the time. Still <laughs> reporting.
1: You're just like I'm. Not sleeping tonight. <laughs> uh, uh, no. um, right? Can you connect that? I mean, is there a connection of this to our president in particular? I mean, the only. Time I see other people watching something this avidly as we all watch the news now is maybe sports. And I do feel like there's a little bit of like who's winning, you know, like or you see people listening to the radio during not during Vietnam but during um the second world war, where it's just like there's an Axis and their allies and somebody's winning and somebody's losing, and this is, you know, of existential importance to me. And sometimes I feel like we that's the I suddenly am reading everything like the sports pages.
0: I think the driving question for me is more, is this it? This is like the question that we ask all the time at Slate, like a big thing drops and is is this the thing that's gonna like end him? Yes. And I feel like although a lot of the news this year that has been pushed and has been like freaking us and stressing us out is not all been it hasn't all been Trump related, but I think that is like the humming question that is just like has been going since he was elected. Um, like, is this thing that's popping up on my phone? Is this, like, new story? Is this tweet thread the thing that's going to finally take him down? And and I think that's, like, that's the driving force of the year.
2: I think that's definitely true. But I'd also say, I mean, when you have a president who is so skilled at sort of ginning up flares of yes who's he's just like he's so his whole game is just empty activity yeah like it's yeah it's easy to feel like oh he said a thing he fired a person he did something outrageous like it's hard not to feel responsive to that because you know we're all turned in his direction and so i do think it's he's frustrating uniquely able to micro redirect us you know hour by hour and uh That's probably part of why we feel like we're constantly being assaulted.
0: How do you guys, when do you first look at news in the morning? Like, what's the first, like?
1: I I look at my phone and go to, I look at my email and text and then I go to Twitter.
2: I wake up, I look at whether any times push alerts have come overnight. (laughs) God damn it. Uh, and that's then I rare. like a Twitter. That's rare,
1: though, right? I
2: mean, I feel like I always have something in the morning. Maybe I'm just I'm so deep in the push alert game that I'm like overestimating <laughs> their role in my life. But I feel like in the morning there'll be something. Yeah. Then I'll go to Twitter and see how big the something is and what other somethings are percolating. Yeah. Uh, then I check my email and then I check all the other stuff.
0: I mean, I, that's what I do too. I look for the push too. But I definitely feel like I didn't used to. Like, I definitely right. did not. I mean, this is a line out of the introduction of the package, but like. I definitely did not used to wake up expecting news, right? And that's become so. It's hard to remember the before. It's hard to remember what like the the rhythm of life was like before this year. But like that is one significant way it's changed, I think, for a lot of people.
1: I mean, more news and more in, more interest in the news. It, it like it's just a kind of cortisol loop that we I just keep fantasizing about getting back to some kind of green pastures where you're you would have an Obama news alert about like arcane legislation every, uh, yeah. every month.
2: Um I would say that reminds me that we had this filter we have this just a plug our interactive for this package. We oh, have this God, filter so good. where you can see you can look at all push alerts or you can look at only Trump. You can look at no Trump. So the idea was to sort of visualize this fantasy alternate year where there was no Trump news. <laughs> yes. And it's so funny. It's it's like... Pretty bare. Right. It's like celebrity deaths and like some international news.
1: Well, the other thing is, you know, you mentioned the, mass, the various massacres and shootings, including Las Vegas and this recent one outside of San Antonio and also all the sexual assault cases that sort of started with Harvey Weinstein. And those seem like, and I'm not the first to say this, but those seem in some ways like proxy for this existential battle. There's so so many tropes that circulate, but every time uh, there's a shooting, a big shooting that makes national news, not one of the several a day that don't surface, but um, there's the conversation about it's the wrong time to talk about it. Maybe it's a mental health thing. All of these, like, If someone says it's a mental health issue, that goes in the bad people box. And if someone says it's time for gun control, let's look at bump stocks, that goes in the good people box. And you're just like this weird sorting, rote sorting mechanism that happens that seems related to the Trump winning and losing thing. And, you know, to the extent that powerful men are brought down by whistleblowers, we think that Harvey Weinstein, James Toback, maybe the big white whale is next, you know?
2: Right, Tony. I went through so for part in putting together this interactive. I went through and and um just like labeled which alerts were Trump related and which weren't, yeah. just so that our uh, coder could go through our the uh, brilliant guy who made this interactive could go through and sort of figure out what to go in each filter. And it was really hard to disaggregate. Uh-huh. It, I mean, like something you know, something happens in North Korea, and like technically, it's not about Trump, but. His personality looms over the whole mess. You know, it's hard to uh, obviously if he says something about North Korea, then that's Trump related. But then, you know, it was was actually really hard to figure out everything or at least a lot of the year felt tinged by him, obviously.
1: I mean, you know, there's so many metaphors, but it it does seem like something was ripped open in, you know, last year and one year ago in November on the Day of the Dead. And since then, it's just been like, I don't know, either all these explanatory, like, there must be something, we. some of the news rehashing the 2016 election gets um, pushed. You know, Donna Brazile, or Bernie Sanders says something, or Hillary's book comes out, or whatever, and that thing gets pushed, right? So, uh, all of this seems like this mm, crazy effort to explain, like, WDF happened, you know? What.
0: Which is why I wonder if in 2020 he loses, which I don't think he will. But uh, will we will things recalibrate, or is this just like the pace now?
1: <sighs> you know, we've had Yasha Monk on the show a number of times, and one of the things he said that stuck in my head really many many months ago was the hope would be that Trump would be maximally invasive. As opposed to Angela (laughs) Merkel, who he sees as minimally invasive and that maximally invasive presidents don't stay around that long because people get tired. And that both the news and the president have certainly been maximally invasive. And that may suggest that we will flame out and decide Maximally invasive comes from surgery, right? Maybe we'll just die on the table. Maybe we'll die on the table.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At least we will have published a good package. It's,
1: right. it's incredible. And we we only touched a little bit on this data visualization. But, you know, what they're describing is, a, is like this stream of all the push notifications from the New York Times. It's
2: funny because our main uh, one of our genius editorial notes that we gave our interactive design editor while he was making this was make it poppier make the push alerts pop more. We just kept saying that over and over again. And that captures our relentless desire to have this, to have it feel like it was... You know, being thrown at you. Like we didn't. we yes. The early uh, versions of it felt a little bit too serene to us. We we're like, nope. They got to pop. Every alert has to feel like it's populating in the moment.
0: So everyone who says it's traumatizing, we were going.
2: You're welcome. That.
1: Right. <laughs> 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 um, it's um. It really, really is an astounding project and a great way to get at these kind of ambient subjects of how sort of stress is generated and processed. So thank you guys so much for explaining it and being here. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, Virginia. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Hey, you follow us on Twitter by now, right? I mean, I'm tired of haranguing you guys about it. Just do it. It it takes less than a second at Real Trumpcast, Follow us on Twitter. And are you in San Francisco next week? Because TrumpCast is going to appear live on November 14th at the Norse Theater at 730. For tickets to that show, which is going to be great, go to slate.com slash live. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to TrumpCast.